0: Welcome to Royally Screwed, my name is Chris Shearer, and it's my honor to take you on a tour through some of history's greatest, worst, and craziest rulers. On this week's episode, we are once again continuing the saga of the Julio-Claudian dynasty of Ancient Rome. Previously we covered the assassination of Emperor Gaius Germanicus, aka Caligula, and the surprising rise to power of his uncle Claudius. I'll be one hundred percent upfront about something. But when I first decided I would be doing the complete story of the Julio Claudians on this podcast, I was dreading getting to Claudius, not because he's any more problematic than the rest of his family, but because I had fallen for a trap perpetuated by ancient historians. That trap is this: Claudius was allegedly a very boring man. I mean, look at his competitors. Augustus is Augustus, first emperor of Rome. Even if you don't know much about Tiberius, you've probably heard his name mentioned. Caligula is... a lot. And almost everyone has heard of Emperor Nero. Claudius is just... there. When I was younger and trying to remember the Julio-Claudian dynasty, I would always forget him and be like... Yeah, but there's supposed to be another one, though. Who is it? And that's pretty unfair to Claudius because that was basically how he was treated until he actually became emperor. So, unfortunately, a lot of his reign was mostly Emperor Claudius trying to prove that he was in fact capable of leading Rome. What this actually resulted in was an emperor who, in my opinion, was someone actually governing in a style closer to Augustus than Rome had seen in decades. He would go out of his way to fulfill broken promises made by earlier rulers, including going back to some unfinished business of Julius Caesar. But would that be enough to actually make him a good leader? Or would his desire for approval stray too far into a realm that was not too dissimilar from the two previous rulers of Rome? Well, hopefully by the end of this episode, you can form your own opinion on that. So, without further ado, let's continue the story. We're going back in time to Rome in the mid-first century CE in... Claudius the (laughs) O.K. In case you didn't listen to the previous Julio-Claudian episode, let's do a quick recap. But really, you should go back and listen to it. And the previous ones. I made them every fifth episode to make it easy. Anyways, Claudius was the grandson of Emperor Augustus and nephew of Emperor Tiberius. In his very early childhood, he developed some form of disability, most historians pointing to a neurological condition along the lines of cerebral palsy. Being a disabled member of the Imperial family was both a blessing and a curse, though mostly a curse by a vast majority. They couldn't kill him without bringing shame to the family, but the royals sure could do their best to make Claudius' life miserable. He was forced to the sidelines and very much aware that he could never get a spotlight in politics. Luckily, he received a very good education and became interested in history. He was even a fairly good orator despite having a speech impediment. He was constantly pushed back until Gaius Germanicus took the throne and gave Claudius a very brief moment in the sun as his co consul of Rome for his first year of imperial reign. After that, he was again treated as a laughingstock. And then Claudius' nephew was assassinated by the Praetorian Guard, who decided Claudius being on the throne was better than having no one. Because Jupiter and Mars forbid, Rome actually transformed back to a true republic instead of the sham it was still trying to pull. After an uncertain path to coronation, Claudius quickly began shoring up ways to legitimize himself. This meant trying to remind Rome that he was the brother of the dead but still beloved war hero Germanicus and recalling his nieces who had been exiled by Gaius Germanicus. It also meant dealing with the fallout of the assassination of Caligula. The Praetorian Guard had to be bribed to ensure that didn't happen again, and Claudius had to round up the conspirators who did the deed. He fulfilled a long-standing desire of his now-deceased grandmother, the Empress Livia, the wife of Augustus, and had her promoted to godhood as Diva Augusta. Likewise, he formally finished the conquest of Mauritania in northern Africa, something Gaius Germanicus had started and had plans for but was killed before those plans could fully be put into place. But that didn't mean everything was going alright. Claudius's public image, though never actually as awful as his family attempted to make it, was not that of a leader aspiring confidence and loyalty. The senate still had quite a bit of power and they were attempting to further clean up the mess left behind by Gaius Germanicus, which mostly included tearing down statues he had commissioned of himself. Also the proconsul, aka governor of Dalmatia, a province that covered much of modern day Croatia, decided to rebel against the new emperor. The rebellion only failed to take hold due to the fact that the governor's army eventually rebelled against him. But once things had settled down, growing pains subsiding, Claudius began getting to work. So let's start getting into the proper reign of the new emperor. Claudius held a particular interest in the judicial system that the previous emperors had not seemed to have. While Tiberius and Gaius seemed just fine playing judge, jury, and executioner, Claudius was mostly interested in just that first aspect. In a strange shift of tone, the emperor himself decided he would oversee many of the trials in Rome that were picked up during his time on the imperial throne. Now this absolutely does not mean that Claudius actually did a good job. It's been written down that he sometimes seemed to reach a consensus that flew in the face of Roman law. But, like, he was the emperor. He was the law. What was the court going to do about it? Roman historian Suetonius wrote that the judicial style of Claudius also seemed to have changed all the time. Now, this is getting into something I might get into after we cover all the Julio-Claudian story, but it's been heavily speculated by some historians that many of the earlier emperors of Rome actually had what we now know as bipolar disorder. Suetonius said that Claudius could be a shrewd and serious judge one day, impatient and quick to anger the next, and then seemingly a wild man, as he says, occasionally silly. But outside of his own attempts at playing judge, Claudius attempted to revitalize the Roman courts and propose laws to ensure a better judicial system. One such law was requiring that plaintiffs would now be required to stay in Rome during the pending process of their cases. This was previously only a law that applied to the defendant of a case. Makes a case much easier when both parties are actually around. Claudius also raised the minimum age for a juror to 25 years old in the hopes of getting a jury with more life experience and, I would assume, better judgment. Claudius also made more mass-scale judgments and edicts throughout his reign, as an emperor should. In 46 CE, Claudius found out that there was an entire region in Italy whose people were technically not considered Roman citizens. Given that it would be a much bigger pain to say that the people in the region of Trentino were now foreigners, Claudius decreed that they should now just be formally legal citizens of Rome, which the people in Trentino already believed themselves to be. Claudius also took on the title of Censor, which was an office that had once been in charge of conducting a census in Rome and eventually became an office of public morals, though the censorship was mostly abolished under Augustus when he took on those powers himself. Claudius used his role as censor to issue all sorts of public decrees. A weird one was that the proper medical care for a snakebite was using the juice from the berries of a yew tree. For your own safety, I'd suggest not doing this, just go see a doctor. Most of the yew tree contains toxins, and I don't think Claudius knew what he was talking about. But if you are an expert in snake bites and know that this cure actually works, uh, please share that with me. That's very cool information I'd like to know. In regards to the laws outside of Italy, Claudius decided to make it so that the city of Troy, known then as Ilium, no longer had to pay taxes. Why? I couldn't find out why, but I thought that was weird and should be mentioned. He also confirmed the rights of Jewish people to live in the city of Alexandria, Egypt, after they had come to blows with the local Greek population. Finally, Claudius freed the island of Rhodes from being under Roman control, which is weird because Emperor Claudius is actually much more well known for expanding Rome in a major way. There is one very big Roman expansion story during Claudius's reign, but let's get through some small potatoes stuff first. Like I said, Claudius formally finished the annexation of Mauritania that Gaius Germanicus had started. The former emperor had plans to divide Mauritania in half, but this never happened during his reign. Well, Claudius saw that done. Mauritania would now be divided into the western Mauritania Tingitana, named after the historical name for the city of Tangier and the eastern Mauritania Caesariensis, named after the city of Caesarea, now the city of Churchill. This marked the first major expansion of Rome since Augustus. Tiberius had specifically chosen not to expand the empire, saying that Augustus had told him this was not actually a good idea when the first emperor was on his deathbed. Gaius had made a couple attempts but overall failed to see things through. Throughout his reign, Claudius would go on to formally annex Roman Judea, Thrace in eastern Greece and western Turkey, Lycia in southern Turkey, and Nordicum in parts of Austria and Slovenia. However, Claudius's particular claim to fame would come when he annexed Britain… well, part of it. The conquest is probably the one fact about Claudius that most quick glances into his life will dig up. But it didn't come out of nowhere. Nearly a century before Claudius ascended to the imperial throne, Julius Caesar had decided to lead an army into Britain. It's still a little bit fuzzy as to whether Caesar just wanted to see what was going on in Britain or actually conquer the island, but he had led a couple military campaigns there. These campaigns had ended with several tribes swearing fealty to Rome and offering the failing republic resources, mostly their own people as slaves. In 40 CE, Gaius Germanicus had started up a campaign against Britain but failed to actually make it to the island. Gaius's campaign was said to have been planned to reinstate a British client king who had been exiled. Well, in 43 CE Claudius decided he would go on to succeed where others had failed, hopefully also restoring Verica, the British king, in the process. He placed the legions that would invade the island under the command of Aulus Plautius. It's possible he was chosen because some historians say he took part in suppressing the rebellion against Claudius in Dalmatia. It's also theorized that Claudius just reorganized the original legions that were supposed to invade under Gaius and gave Claudius command. It's also known that the future emperor Vespasian was one of the legion commanders. Claudius ordered the legions to cross the British Channel in three different groups. That way the Britons would not be able to see the massive army that was coming their way and be able to get prepared. This made the beginning of the 43CE campaign a bit easier on the Romans, but they were quickly reminded of why Rome had not actually yet conquered Britain, what with all the guerrilla warfare and whatnot. However, there were never really any outright losses by the Roman troops. After a fairly decisive victory on the River Thames that saw the Romans defeat the British King Togodumnos, Claudius decided to call over Claudius so the Emperor could be there for the final push of the campaign. Roman historian Cassius Dio words things a little vague that makes it sound almost like Claudius needed Claudius' help, which was almost certainly not the case. Claudius had barely been a politician before becoming Emperor and he was very much not spending the rest of his life as a soldier. Nonetheless, Claudius agreed to travel to Britain, even if it was just as a symbolic gesture. He brought much needed supplies the Roman legions needed, including war elephants. Yeah, the Romans brought elephants across the English Channel and just had those guys stomping around ancient Britain. Give me that movie, please. It's said that Claudius would then lead the Roman legions to defeat several other tribes, though how much leading and fighting Claudius actually did is anyone's guess. Eventually, enough tribes were brought under the heel of Rome that they offered up land in southeastern Britain that the Romans could have as a new province. Funnily enough, it doesn't say anywhere if Verica was ever restored as king of his people. It's actually much more likely, based on archaeological findings, that he never was and was replaced with someone else. Nonetheless, this was a resounding victory for Rome. They set up a provincial capital in the British city of Camulodunum modern-day Colchester. In the aftermath of the 43 CE campaign, the Senate awarded Claudius with a triumph, a military celebration. Now, since the days of Augustus, triumphs were only awarded to members of the imperial family. However, Claudius allowed that restriction to be removed in order to grant triumphs to several generals who served in the invasion. Another honor bestowed upon Claudius was the Cognomen Britannicus. However, the emperor never chose to use this name. Instead, he allowed it to be used for his son, who at this point was only about two years old. Even today, his son is usually just referred to as Britannicus. Further campaigns would continue on in Britain for the rest of Claudius' reign, though mostly around southern and central England. Campaigns ended mostly for good around 87 CE with much of England incorporated into the Empire. The Romans never got Scotland, though. As I mentioned earlier in this episode and in the previous Julio-Claudian episode, Claudius was a prolific writer. He originally was recognized for this talent when he wrote a history of the last civil war of the Roman Republic, the war that saw Augustus fight against Mark Antony and ultimately saw the victor come to power as the first emperor. Given that Claudius had been a blood relative of Antony, he portrayed the loser in a sympathetic light and this made the rest of his family very angry. However, this was not the only book Claudius would write. He would go on to write many more books that seemed to be very important for later Roman historians, even if historians like Suetonius thought they were not really all that great. Unfortunately, no works authored by Claudius survive into the modern day, which is kind of sad because they would be very important for a contemporary understanding of the Julio-Claudian dynasty. Claudius was very interested in Etruscan history, the Etruscans being a civilization that flourished in central Italy before Rome was founded and was slowly eclipsed by the latter as it grew in strength. He wrote an Etruscan Dictionary as well as a history of the Etruscan people that spanned across 20 volumes, so yeah, kind of a big fan there. He also wrote several volumes of history about the city of Carthage, an old rival of the Roman Republic. It was that city that was allegedly destroyed and the Roman soldiers were ordered to salt the earth to make it so no one could live there again. Granted, there is absolutely no evidence supporting that legend. Other books included A Defense of Republican Statesman Cicero, again, a fairly divisive book as Cicero was basically the epitome of the Republic, a book about how to play a dice game that may have been called De Arte Alei, as well as an extensive autobiography of himself. That's the one Suetonius really did not like. But again, it's a shame that none of these exist in the modern day. I really do want to know what Claudius had to say about himself. The only thing that even resembles that are the books I, Claudius and Claudius the God by author Robert Graves. Granted, these books are heavily skewed by later Roman historians and very much play into stereotypes revolving around each of the Julio-Claudians but the books are more or less supposed to act as if Graves had found Claudius' autobiography and translated it. The books are entertaining, but they shouldn't be used as a true history. Another fun thing about Claudius is that he tried to change the Latin alphabet. Or I should say he tried to add onto the alphabet. The three letters he added are referred to as the Claudian letters. The first of these new letters was anti sigma. This letter was either written as a backward C or two linked Cs, basically resembling a more rounded X. Anti-Sigma was invented to stand in for the sound BS and PS, so bzz and ps. The second letter was called Digamma, which resembled an upside-down capital F. And this letter was made to replace V when it was being used as a W or a B, specifically that B sound you get in some languages like Spanish when they pronounce V. Finally, there was the half H, which is what we call it now but probably wasn't its name back then. This letter represents what is called a sonus medius, which is a vowel sound that's almost like halfway between the short I and short U in English. I'm pretty sure this is a sound that exists in many other languages, but again, we don't really use it in English. Claudius was very fond of these new letters. He had written all about them during his time before ascending to the throne of emperor, but it was only after he was actually given imperial power where he could make people use them. You can still see them in some tablets and other writings from his reign. Unfortunately for Claudius, the letters pretty much went out of fashion after his death. The guy can't catch a break. It's like history really didn't want him to be remembered. Unfortunately, Claudius' life wasn't all fun and games with playing judge, conquering southern Britain, and making new letters. He still had plenty of personal problems, especially on the home front. At the time of his coronation, Claudius was married to a woman named Valeria Messalina. History paints a very cruel picture of Claudius' third wife. She had been part of the social circle of Gaius Germanicus and the late emperor may have even set up the couple's marriage. It's really in depictions of Messalina where we get this historical image of Claudius being a massive pushover who was willing to do anything to satisfy his wife, possibly out of fear or just ignorance at what she was planning. Because of this, Messalina could just ask for Claudius to sentence someone to death and the Emperor would oftentimes go through with it. One of the more sinister cases involving Messalina involved Claudius's niece, Julia. Julia had been exiled under Gaius Germanicus, but was recalled early in Claudius' reign. However, almost immediately after, Julia and Messalina had a falling out. Messalina demanded that Claudius once more send his niece into exile under false charges of adultery. The emperor acquiesced to Messalina's demands, and Julia was once more banished from Rome. But that was not enough and he later ordered for Julia to be put to death by starvation. Most ancient historians either paint her as, or outright call, Messalina a nymphomaniac. Historian Tacitus straight up tells a story about how she once entered into a competition with a famous prostitute to see who could sleep with more men in a single night. She herself may have prostituted herself in the royal palace. Cassius Dio says that she suggested to other high-ranking women of Rome that they should follow suit. This leads to the story of Messalina's downfall. For a bit, Messalina had been having an affair behind Claudius's back with a senator named Gaius Silius. Silius had a lot going on for him. He was said to be both intelligent and attractive. Oh, and he had also been nominated to sit as one of the two consuls of Rome for the year 49 CE. Unfortunately, it seemed as if Messalina was beginning to want more out of her life than to be married to Claudius. It seems like she still very much wanted to be married to the emperor, she just didn't want that emperor to be Claudius. So behind Claudius' back, Messalina demanded Silas that he divorce his wife and marry her so Cilius did that. It also seems that he was fully ready to adopt Britannicus as his legal heir. Just one problem, Messalina was still married to Claudius. There was a law in ancient Rome that you had to tell your spouse you were planning on divorcing them. This applied to both men and women. Well, Messalina tried to get around this, maybe. Some historians seem to paint this affair and plans for marriage as happening while Claudius was completely unaware. Others seem to say that Messalina somehow managed to trick Claudius into signing a form that agreed to her marrying Silius. Whatever is the truth, Messalina and Silius waited until Claudius was outside of the city of Rome. The pair then held a massive wedding. At that point, one of Claudius's freedmen servant, a man named Narcissus, rode out to meet with the emperor in order to inform Claudius about what was happening. Claudius returned to Rome in order to confront his wife. She tried to find a way to make it so Claudius would not punish her, and for a brief moment, this seemed to work. However, Narcissus once more stepped in and ordered a Praetorian guard to execute Messalina. According to Tacitus, Claudius was unconcerned by Messalina's death. He had been at a party drinking and, when told of her demise, simply asked for another cup of wine. Messalius was also put to death, never being able to serve as consul. However, the Emperor still needed a wife, that's just how things went his inner circle decided they would take action and selected three women that would be perfect candidates for the new empress of Rome. First was Lollia Paulina. She was actually Gaius Germanicus's third wife. I never mentioned her because the pair were only married for half a year in 38 CE after which Gaius divorced her saying she was infertile. The second choice for Claudius was actually his second wife, Ilia Pytina. They had been married for a bit before Claudius was chosen as emperor. They'd had a daughter together, Claudia Antonia, but it was implied that Aelia also took advantage of her husband. Claudius had divorced her on grounds of mental cruelty. Third and final choice was Claudius' own niece, Agrippina, daughter of Germanicus and sister to Emperor Gaius Germanicus. Guess which one he chose? Did you guess his niece? Because you'd be correct there. Yeah. His own niece. There's been many reasons thrown out as to why Claudius chose Agrippina. There are plenty that say she seduced him or that he was just for some reason attracted to his niece. Others insist that it was because Agrippina had a son through a previous marriage, Lucius Domitius Ahenobarbus. Lucius was nearing adulthood and could easily be sat in as heir, actually co-heir because Britannicus was still kicking around despite being a young kid. It's suggested that Claudius was actually a bit self-conscious about the fact that he was a member of gens Claudii and not Jens Julii, the family of Augustus that Tiberius and Gaius had been adopted into. If he adopted Lucius, a descendant of the Julii through Agrippina's mother, he could bring back legitimacy. But still, the guy married his niece and that's weird. But sure enough, after his marriage to Agrippina in 50 CE, Claudius adopted Lucius Domitius as his son and had him renamed Nero Claudius Caesar. (laughs) of Emperor Claudius is one that is only slightly shrouded in mystery. We're almost certain for a fact that he was poisoned. He died on the 13th of October 54 CE. Most historians point their fingers at Agrippina as the poisoner in the hopes that Claudius' death would put Nero on the throne faster. If it was Agrippina, which most signs point to, it would hardly be surprising. The pair's marriage had begun to crumble almost immediately after it started. She was just as unfaithful as his previous wife and the pair often publicly argued. It got to the point where Claudius was crying out in their arguments that he would rather be married to his previous wives than Agrippina. And again, Nero was primed to take the throne as the only adult male heir. Given that Rome wouldn't accept Agrippina as its sole leader, her son was the next best option. Then again, there are other views that point to Claudius' death being of natural causes, or at least dying by eating poisonous mushrooms on accident. The year 54 CE was also apparently pretty bad when it came to public health in Rome. Many noble families had members pass away, so unless a mass poisoning ring was going on, which I guess could be possible, something was definitely in the air in the Imperial City. Or the water, or the livestock. Claudius had been sickly for quite some time. His life as Emperor had not necessarily been a healthy one. I'm sure he wasn't out doing cardio exercises. But nonetheless, we'll probably never know for certain how Claudius died. We can't even do an autopsy because he was cremated. But after his death, Claudius was deified by the Senate. He had gone from black sheep of the Claudians to godhood. But he was far from perfect. He was prone to be controlled and had his own string of paranoia-driven executions. But Claudius's Rome was certainly one that was more peaceful than that of his immediate predecessors. Yeah, his laws could be silly, but he made them because he thought they would help Rome. He wasn't Tiberius or Gaius Germanicus. But he also wasn't Augustus. Claudius was just Claudius, which was pretty okay as far as the Julio-Claudian dynasty went. But surely enough, with Claudius' death, Nero was poised to ascend as the next emperor. However, Agrippina still very much had a major role to play in politics moving forward. So next time we're back in Rome, it won't be to cover Nero, but his mother. But for now, that's it for this week's episode of Royally Screwed. I hope you enjoyed the journey. Be sure to subscribe to the show, tell a friend, and follow the Denim Creek page on Twitter and Instagram for more info about each episode. The show is once more going on break for the next month. In the meantime, be sure to leave a review of the show on whatever platform you use to listen to this. I don't ask y'all to do that very much, but it certainly helps the show stay active during these breaks. But even if you don't, thank you for listening. When the show does return from break, we're going to look at a very controversial figure. It's a President of America, but not the United States of America. We'll tackle the history of the sole President of the Confederate States of America, Jefferson Davis. I hope you'll join me then for another topsy turvy look into history's most interesting rulers.